Welcome to the June 8th, 2023 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the findings from a prospective trial assessing response after discontinuation of TPO receptor agonist therapy in primary ITP. Learn more about the impact of TP53 on the outcomes of patients with myelofibrosis following hematopoietic stem cell transplant. And review the comprehensive clinical picture of the ERCC6L2 disease, where germline variants predispose to marrow failure and myeloid malignancies. We first examined data in the blood article entitled Prolonged Response After TPO-RA Discontinuation in Primary ITP, Results of a Prospective Multicenter Study by Stephanie Guillet from the Université Paris-Est-Créteil in Créteil, France, and colleagues. Immune thrombocytopenia results from increased destruction of platelets, mainly due to B and T-cell-mediated autoimmune responses to platelet glycoproteins and a decreased platelet production in the marrow. Thrombopoietin receptor agonists, or TPO-RAs, work by binding to the thrombopoietin receptor on megakaryocytes to activate the JAK2-STAT5 pathway. This leads to increased megakaryocyte proliferation and platelet production. Romiplostim and L-thrombopag are TPO-RAs with proven clinical efficacy in ITP. Both are currently used as second-line therapy in adults with ITP. These agents are associated with a platelet response in over 70% of patients who have failed one or more prior lines of therapy. And at least 40% of patients treated with TPO-RAs achieve a durable platelet response. Interestingly, several prior studies have reported durable remissions after TPO-RA discontinuation in approximately 20% of patients, hinting at their possible immunomodulatory properties. Preclinical and in vivo experiments suggest that TPO-RAs may be able to restore immune tolerance towards platelet autoantigens, thereby suppressing the autoimmune nature of ITP. The goal of the current study was to determine the proportion of sustained complete response to TPO-RAs at 24 and 52 weeks after treatment cessation in adults with persistent or chronic ITP who previously achieved an initial stable complete response to these agents, and received no curative therapies. This prospective multicenter interventional trial enrolled 49 ITP patients treated with TPO-RAs between September 2017 and February 2020 across 20 centers in France. Patients had either persistent or chronic primary ITP according to the international consensus criteria and experienced stable complete response defined as a platelet count of more than 100 times 10 to the 9th per liter for more than two months. After inclusion, the patients were weaned off L-thrombopag and romiplostim over 10 weeks. The primary endpoint was the proportion of patients achieving a sustained response off treatment, defined as a platelet count greater than or equal to 30 times 10 to the 9th per liter and no bleeding at week 24. Exploratory endpoints included a sustained complete response off treatment with platelet counts of more than 100 times 10 to the 9th per liter at weeks 24 and 52. Other endpoints included bleeding events according to the modified French bleeding score 
and responds to a new course of TPO-RAs in case of relapse. 30 of 48, or 63%, of enrolled patients had chronic ITP at TPO-RA initiation. The median age was 58.5 years, with a range from 41 to 73.5 years. In the Intention to Treat Analysis Group, 56.2% of patients achieved a sustained response following discontinuation of TPO-RAs at week 24, and 52.1% at week 52. Furthermore, almost one-third of patients achieved a sustained complete response off treatment at week 24 and week 52. Among the patients who relapsed, there were no severe bleeding events. Of those patients who were retreated with TPO-RA, 11 out of 12 achieved a complete response. The authors did not identify any significant clinical predictors of sustained response off treatment at week 24. However, single-cell RNA sequencing experiments revealed an enhanced TNF-alpha signaling via NF-kappa-B signature in CD8-positive T-cells in patients that relapsed after TPO-RA discontinuation, including overexpression of CD69, an early marker of lymphocyte activation. This finding was further confirmed by flow cytometry, which showed significantly increased levels of CD69 expression on CD8-positive T-cells at baseline and at relapse in this group of patients, compared to those achieving sustained responses. The authors conclude that their findings strongly support a strategy based on progressive tapering and discontinuation of TPO-RAs for patients with chronic ITP who achieved a sustained complete response to initial treatment, and increased expression of CD69 on CD8-positive T-cells at the time of TPO-RA tapering could predict relapse. In an accompanying commentary, Kristen Sanfilippo from Washington University Medical School in St. Louis, Missouri, and Adam Cooker from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia Note that the findings of Guillet and co-workers are promising and offer additional evidence to support a trial of TPO-RA discontinuation in patients with ITP who responded well, as well as a role for TPO-RAs in immune modulation of patients with persistent or chronic ITP. However, they also note that more research is needed to determine whether TPO-RAs play a role in inducing sustained treatment-free responses or if they only serve as a bridge for patients whose disease would ultimately improve on its own. Namely, other therapies, including corticosteroids, IVIG, and rituximab, have also been associated with long-term treatment-free response rates of approximately 30%, begging the question if these therapies are responsible for long-term remissions or whether ITP would go into spontaneous remission on its own. Sanfilippo and Cooker conclude that future studies should investigate whether the same immunologic changes that predict treatment-free remission following discontinuation of TPO-RAs could also predict long-term responses after treatment with the other agents. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled Impact of TP53 on Outcome of Patients with Myelofibrosis Undergoing Hematopoietic Stem Cell Transplantation by Nico Gagelmann from the University Medical Center Hamburg-Eppendorf in Hamburg, Germany, and colleagues. The TP53 gene is the most frequently mutated gene in hematological malignancies. 
The frequency of TP53 mutations is highly variable in different types and different stages of hematologic cancers, but these mutations have been associated with poor outcomes. For example, in patients with myelodysplastic syndromes, TP53 mutations are associated with high-risk disease, rapid transformation to acute myeloid leukemia, resistance to conventional therapies, and poor outcomes even after intensive treatment with allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, or HSCT. Myelofibrosis is a chronic myeloproliferative neoplasm that develops either de novo and is known as primary myelofibrosis or evolves from essential thrombocythemia or polycythemia vera and is known as secondary myelofibrosis. Even though significant progress has been made in recent years in understanding the effects of mutational profiles on hematological malignancies, the impact of TP53 mutations on the prognosis of patients with myelofibrosis remains poorly understood, especially in those who received curative treatment with HSCT. The current study aimed to investigate the impact of TP53 mutations and cytogenetics on the outcomes of patients with myelofibrosis undergoing HSCT using a large collaborative international cohort from seven institutions. The study included 349 patients with either primary or secondary myelofibrosis who underwent their first HSCT between 1997 and 2021 and had information on mutation profile and cytogenetics. TP53 mutations were detected using next-generation sequencing of the bone marrow and peripheral blood samples before transplantation. To analyze the role of TP53 mutations in more detail, the authors categorized patients based on single-hit or multi-hit constellation, per the International Consensus Classification. The primary endpoint of the study was overall survival, defined as the time from HSCT to death from any cause or last follow-up. Secondary endpoints included leukemic transformation, non-relapse mortality, progression-free survival, and overall cumulative incidence of relapse. Among 349 studied patients, 49, or 13%, had detectable TP53 mutations, with a median variant allele frequency of 20.3%, and 30 out of 49 patients had a multi-hit configuration. The cytogenetic risk was favorable in 71% of patients, unfavorable in 23%, and very high in 6%, with complex karyotypes present in 10% of patients. The median survival of patients with a TP53 mutation was 1.5 years, compared to 13.5 years for patients with wild-type TP53, which was primarily driven by poor outcomes in patients with multi-hit TP53. The six-year survival was only 25% for patients with a multi-hit TP53 constellation, 56% for patients with a single-hit, and 64% for wild-type TP53. Similarly, the cumulative incidence of relapse was 52% for multi-hit TP53 versus 21% for wild-type TP53. These outcomes were independent of transplant-specific risk factors and conditioning intensity. The rate of leukemic transformation was also higher in patients with TP53 mutations than in patients with wild-type TP53, namely 20% versus 2%. Finally, the median time to leukemic transformation was shorter for multi- and single-hit mutated TP53, 0.7 and 0.5 years respectively, 
compared to 2.5 years for wild-type TP53. Collectively, these findings indicate that myelofibrosis patients with multi-hit TP53 constellation undergoing HSCT constitute a very high-risk group of patients. The dismal outcomes seemed to be triggered by leukemic transformation, which occurred significantly more often and sooner after transplant in patients with multi-hit TP53 mutations. However, patients with single-hit TP53 have similar outcomes to non-mutated patients. This report provides the first comprehensive analysis of the role of TP53 mutations in myelofibrosis in the setting of hematopoietic stem cell transplantation and may inform the prognosis for survival and relapse. In an accompanying commentary, Pramila Krishnamurthy from King's College Hospital in London, United Kingdom, notes that the study by Gogelman and collaborators once again confirms that the transplant community faces a formidable adversary in the form of multi-hit TP53. The observation of increased relapse risk in patients with multi-hit TP53 and a higher likelihood of presenting with leukemic transformation at relapse highlights a need for an alternative approach to transplant in this subgroup in comparison to those with monoallelic TP53 mutated or wild-type disease. Future studies should assess whether alternative pre-transplant conditioning or post-transplant maintenance strategies could improve post-HSCT outcomes in these patients. Krishnamurthy also notes that it may be worth investigating whether alternative agents that have shown promising activity in the setting of TP53-mutated AML and MDS could be useful in multi-hit TP53 myeloid disease, including myelofibrosis. These include the macrophage checkpoint inhibitor, Magrolimab, which targets the anti-CD47 SERP-alpha axis. Finally, furthering the understanding of minimal residual disease in this ultra-high-risk group is also of interest. Krishnamurthy wonders if there is a window of opportunity for early intervention with drugs plus or minus donor lymphocyte infusion before the full-blown relapse sets in. In the final part of today's podcast, we will review a report published in Blood entitled The Clinical Picture of the ERCC6L2 Disease From Bone Marrow Failure to Acute Leukemia by Maria Hakkarainen from the University of Helsinki in Finland and colleagues. Excision Repair Cross-Complementing 6-like-2, or ERCC6L2, is one of the genes recently identified as a driver of an inherited bone marrow failure syndrome. The ERCC6L2 protein is involved in DNA double-strand break repair, DNA recombination, translocation, and chromatic unwinding. It likely also plays a role in mitochondrial function. Since the first description of ERCC6L2 syndrome in 2014 in patients with bone marrow failure, 20 unique cases have been reported in six studies. The patients presented with hypocellular marrow failure, either as children or young adults. About half also had microcephaly and developmental delay. The authors previously reported that all ERCC6L2-driven hematological malignancies harbored somatic TP53 mutations, with somatic mutagenesis most likely occurring in the marrow failure phase. TP53 mutations are typically associated with extremely poor survival in hematological malignancies. To date, 
only 37 cases with bi-allelic germline ERCC6L2 variants have been described in the literature, including 14 patients from Finland who were all homozygous for a C1424-DEL-T frameshift mutation in ERCC6L2. Moreover, the minor allele frequency of the variant was 0.6%, 20 times higher in the Finnish population compared to other Europeans. Despite the growing body of literature on the ERCC6L2 syndrome, there is a lack of comprehensive understanding of the clinical spectrum, natural history, and disease progression. Therefore, in the current study, the authors aimed to characterize these features of both novel and previously identified ERCC6L2 patients, as well as describe the course of ERCC6L2 disease. The current retrospective study included 52 subjects from 35 families with ERCC6L2 biallelic germline variants that were collected across 11 centers globally. A retrospective chart review was performed, which included data from bone marrow examinations. The disease course and treatment responses were reported based on the practice of the treating physicians. Family pedigrees were studied where possible, and a genealogical study was conducted to investigate the possible founder effect of the variant ERCC6L2-C1424-DEL-T in Finland. At initial presentation, 32 individuals were diagnosed with bone marrow failure and 15 with a hematological malignancy. The median age of patients when referred to a hematologist was 18 years, with a range from 2 to 65 years. Hypocellular bone marrow failure with cytopenia was the most common initial manifestation in nearly two-thirds, followed by MDS or AML in 29% and an asymptomatic state in 10%. The median age in patients presenting with marrow failure was 12 years, while patients with MDS or AML were older, with a median of 29 years at initial presentation. Compared to marrow failure, the MDS-AML cohort was characterized by a higher number of patients carrying somatic loss-of-function TP53 mutations and a higher TP53 variant allelic frequency, pointing to a TP53-mediated clonal progression. Interestingly, there were no significant differences in complete blood counts of patients with or without a hematological malignancy, and CBC changes were mild, even in those subjects who had severe bone marrow hypoplasia and somatic TP53 mutations. Study subjects presented with a total of 19 different variants of ERCC6L2 and the founder mutation ERCC6L2-C1424-DEL-T was identified in the Finnish patients. Symptoms of progressive disease were more common in patients with increasing TP53 allele variant frequency, pointing to TP53-mediated clonal progression dysplasia in megakaryocytes and or the erythroid lineage, and erythroid predominance in bone marrow morphology. The median age at onset of hematological malignancy was 37 years, with a range from 12 to 65 years. Overall survival at three years was significantly higher for patients with marrow failure than those with a hematological malignancy, 95% versus 19% respectively. Of note, Patients with MDS or AML with mutated TP53 undergoing hematopoietic stem cell transplant had a poor outcome, with a three-year overall survival of only 
The analysis also looked at extra hematological features in the 52 ERCC6L2 patients, but was not able to conclude syndromic features in this disorder. Although first reports described neurological involvement in patients with biallelic mutations, only four subjects in the current study had these features, with three having microcephaly. Two of the four were from consanguineous families, and the authors comment that the neurologic defects may reflect other defects due to reduced heterozygosity. They also found only two ERCC6L2 patients with solid malignancies, including one patient with breast cancer who suffered from severe radiation injury following treatment, which might be related to the role of ERCC6L2 in DNA repair. The authors concluded that their findings point to the importance of early recognition and active surveillance of patients with biallelic germline ERCC6L2 variants. In an accompanying commentary, Marcin W. Wawodarski from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, notes that the study by Hakarainen and collaborators has implications for both genetic diagnostics and counseling. In patients with inherited bone marrow failure syndromes, annual marrow surveillance is typically conducted to detect leukemic evolution, with CBC assessments performed in between. However, per this latest study, this strategy is not suitable for patients with ERCC6L2 disease, since CBC abnormalities can be mild despite the presence of TP53-mediated clonal evolution or marrow dysplasia. This is analogous to Schwachmann-Diamond syndrome, where TP53-mediated clonal progression also presents a major risk. Indeed, these latest findings highlight the importance of incorporating frequent bone marrow assessments and high-sensitivity TP53 mutation testing into the clinical follow-up of ERCC6L2-affected individuals. Wawodarski further notes that studies in larger cohorts are needed to investigate the extent of the biological effect of different mutations and to determine whether there is a correlation between the genotypes and leukemia latency. The current work is limited by its retrospective nature, which may have resulted in bias in the outcome estimates. Notably, ERCC6L2 patients with TP53-mutated MDS-AML had a dismal overall survival rate even after a transplant, consistent with the difficulty in curing myeloid malignancies with TP53 mutations. Wawodarski concludes that prospective studies focusing on earlier diagnosis of MDS or AML and timely HSCT are warranted to address this issue. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.